would please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight with an opportunity for us to, to hear a word from you tonight. And I pray, God, that you would remove the distractions from our hearts, that you would remove the distractions from my heart that I've brought in throughout the week. And that for the next 20 or 25 minutes or so, we would, we would simply open ourselves up to the possibility that you can speak to us right now through your word that's been preserved for us. And I pray that you would anoint this time with your Holy Spirit that you would speak victory over our hearts. Even though that series is over, God, the victory remains this week. We know that you have given us hope and life through Christ. And so I pray that you would fill our hearts with your love where we're lacking that. Fill our hearts with mercy and compassion and grace where we are become hardened from living in this world. And I pray, God, that you would complete further, that you would further perfect us and make us more and more like Christ tonight because that is a promise you've given to us, that you will complete the work that you've started in us. And so we proclaim and we receive that promise tonight. Do your work in us for your glory and for our our benefit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. At this time, I would like to invite Renata to come forward for tonight's scripture reading. We're going to be, uh, we've spent the last several weeks actually a few months in the book of Romans. And so tonight we'll be looking in the Gospel of John, so I encourage you to join us there. Uh, Tonight's scripture is uh, from the Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. So it's hard to, to move forward sometimes when you are excited about something and then something new comes along. For example, you're excited about the Victory Sermon Series and then you start a new one and as much as you're excited about it, you still kind of are sad that you have to start another one. Well, I got over that this week because I'm excited to share with you over the next six weeks and uh, Larry's preaching next week and John's on the schedule like four weeks from now. Uh, we have some exciting news to tell you and it has a lot to do with Jesus. So... Uh, you're going to be fed well over the next few weeks, and I'm excited to, to share tonight's message with you that's simply stated in two words, God moves. God moves. Okay, now you can go home. There's a little more to it, so let's go further. In June of 2016, so that was uh, less than a year ago, there was a, a woman who was inside doing the dishes, and her two boys were outside playing in the yard. She heard screaming, and her five-year-old son and his brother were out there playing, and she heard screaming, so she ran out to see what was the matter, and she saw a mountain lion attacking her son. That's right, a mountain lion. So she took off running and got on the lion and pried her son from the lion. That's pretty boss, isn't it? Right? So... 
She was a mom who saw her son in such peril and danger that instinctively she rushed in to rescue her son. Now we see a couple of things, or three things that I can point out quickly. She was motivated, she was moved by love to action for a purpose. We're going to see the same thing about God tonight, that he is motivated by love to action for a purpose. The cool thing is, that same little five-year-old boy one day is going to question whether that mom loves him. That same five-year-old boy is going to roll his eyes at her when she says, put your coat on, it's freezing outside. That same little boy is going to say, Mom, you don't love me anymore. And she's like, Son, I wrestled you from the jaws of a lion. How cool would that be? Don't you ever doubt that I love you. Wow, I don't have a story nearly that compelling. But I do have sacrifices I've made for my children. But tonight we're going to see that God, in the same way, was moved by love to action for a purpose. And so we're going to start with that first point of number one. So you can write this down to take notes if you want. But God is moved by love. And there are many theories about who God is. Just Google God. Just listen to conversations in the the lives of people around you. But instead of wondering what motivates the heart of God and, and questioning it, we can actually find it right here in this scripture and many more scriptures as well. What we see in this verse of John 3, 16, that God is moved by love. So look with me in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So keep that verse up. I've underlined it for you. For God so loved the the world. The word loved here means to show love. It means to take pleasure in. I find joy and pleasure in this. It means to prize something, to find great value in it. This is how God feels about the world. There's pleasure in his creation. And it's not just the people that he finds pleasure in, but the word for world here is cosmos. And that also means the universe, all created things, the world system, and yes, it does include people as well. So all of God's creation, he takes pleasure in. And God has so loved the world that we see that his motivation for the rest of what we're going to read in this scripture, is love. It's adoration. He takes pleasure in. He has this great love for you personally, but also the world. I think we just celebrated Earth Day yesterday. Is that right? Okay. So God's the biggest fan of Earth Day. He loves him some earth, okay? He loves it. He created it. He wants good things for it. This means that God's disposition toward you and the world is a disposition of love, not hatred. We hear things differently before. A lot of people think of, well, the God of the Old Testament is an angry God, and he's just looking to hurt people. And the God of the New Testament's a God of love and just says, love everybody and everything. But we see the God of the Bible is a God of love towards everyone. He treasures you. He takes pleasure in you. God prizes you. He values you. I have a a clip, a tie clip. I don't wear ties often, but when I do, I like to wear the tie clip because my grandmother gave it to me when my grandfather passed away. 
is what she gave to him for their 50th wedding anniversary. I hope I'm able to get my own 50th wedding anniversary gift one day from Carrie. But it's this beautiful gold cross, and it has some diamonds in it as well. I'm sure it cost my grandmother quite a bit of money. But to me, even as valuable as it is because of the precious metal and stones, it's more valuable to me because of who it belonged to. I take pleasure in that. I, take, I, I prize it. I love that because, not necessarily of what it is, but for who it represents. God has a disposition of treasuring and, 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 and holding close the world that he's created. And so one thing we can take from this is realizing that because of what we see here is we never have to doubt if God loves us. Just like that five-year-old boy doesn't have to doubt if mama really loves me. Mama wrestled a lion for you. Jesus loves you. God loves you so much that he did this for you. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. When sickness comes, never doubt that God loves you. When you lose someone you love, never doubt that God loves you. When you lose your job, never doubt that God loves you. When you're persecuted or ostracized for your faith in Christ, never doubt that God loves you. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Larry read it for us earlier, but I want to look at it again, is we see that even before we become a child of God, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still or yet sinners, while we were rebellious against him, while we were haters of God, Christ died for us. God loves you before and after you become a Christian. He treasures you and desires to have a a loving, powerful, life-giving relationship with you. And this love moves the heart of God. God is moved by love. Number two. God is moved to action. So he's moved by love and he's moved to action. So love is not just a word that you sit back and keep yourself distant from other people. You jump in. He moves us closer. Uh, Love, excuse me, moves us closer to other people. And those actions that are produced are motivated from love. They move us to act upon it. And so we see this at the same verse, John 3, 16. God is moved to action. For God so loved the world, motivated by love, and now here's the action underlined it. Underlined it. Did you hear what I said? That's funny. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the action that we see God taking. The word gave here means gave, if you didn't know. It also means produced. It means allowed. It means to appoint. It means offered. This is what God did. He did these things for you. And what did he give? He gave his son, his male descent. But it also, it is God. So for it to be his son, it means that he is the son of God. But he's not just a son of God. He is the only begotten son. Only begotten. Begotten is not a word most of us use on a daily basis, I would, wouldn't think. But it means he's the only one. He's the one and only. Unique. I like this one. Alone in its kind. 
There is no one. Can you say no one? No one like Jesus. This is an extremely powerful truth for us to, to, to hold dear as Christians. It means that Christ is exclusive. He's the only one who is treasured like this. He's the one and only. This means that there is no one else like him, and he stands alone. It means he's not the one among many, many ways to God. He's not just one way among many ways to find God, but he is God's only son, and he is the only way to him. I realize this is not a welcomed belief in our world today. Most people in our city are apt to believe that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. You ever heard that? It's easy to say, I've heard it said to me often, you know what, I'm glad this Jesus stuff works for you. But that's not what the scriptures teach us. I would imagine some of you struggle with this too. A litmus test would be that if you're not concerned by the reality that your family or friends reject Jesus as the Messiah, then you either don't believe this yourself, or somehow you're believing that it's all just going to work out in the end. But this is what it says, that Jesus gave, or God gave his only begotten son. God's love didn't cause him to, to sit back and just wait for everything to work out in the end, but instead he gave his most precious possession, his most precious relationship. He gave his one and only son. And this son of God laid down his life willingly. He wasn't forced to go down here by God and forced to do this. In fact, we saw him praying in the garden, God, if there be any other way, let it be done that you can do this, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. We see a son willingly going to the cross so that you and I can be rescued from death. God's love led him to action, and that action has another name called sacrifice. Many Christians are more interested in giving their opinions than giving their lives. Many times, I am more interested in giving my opinion than giving my life. At the beginning of the service, I quoted David Livingston. I want to read it again here because it fits the sermon. But he wrote this in a prayer, and it says, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me. I miss... I miswrote that. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart, except... That means you can have any tie of love in here. Any tie of my heart. You can sever any of them, except... Go back to it. It's all right. Except the tie that binds my heart to yours. That is what I can't do without. You can send me anywhere, I will be your sacrifice. You can lay any burden on me, I will do this for you. But you will sustain me, you will go with me. But do not sever me from you, Lord. He died, David Livingston, he was a missionary in the 1800s, and he died giving his life to people that he initially did not know. He was a missionary, a medical missionary, and he went to Africa. And he went there, and he, he served so many people, and he ended up catching uh, malaria and dying from that. He spent his days passionately pursuing the Lord and loving Him first. This is the heart of God. Giving. Giving. And when you feel like quitting, giving more. Giving more. This heart is 
reflective of the heart of God, a heart that's moved by love and compelled by this love to action. And that action is sacrificial. For us, that means that we, we're not emulating the heart of God through feeling entitled, like the world, the world or someone owes us something. That's not the heart of God. We're not emulating the heart of God when we're complaining about what we do or do not have, what we have to put up with or what we're being um, deprived of. We're not emulating the heart of God when we're telling everybody else, this is what I deserve. But we emulate the heart of God when we have a spirit of giving, when we have a spirit of always being a blessing to other people, when we have a spirit of sacrificing for others. This is what the heart of God is, and this is who we become when we become connected to His heart. Advertising teaches us the, wrong, the, the opposite of this. I have started unsubscribing from lots of emails because if you do one little vacation search, man, they send you pictures of all these beautiful places and you just you live in vacation land and I want to go there, I want to go here, I want to do this. And so I'm just unsubscribe, unsubscribe. And so you, you see all these beautiful things, these places they want to go and, and products that will help you feel younger and stronger and healthier and all these things. Um, it's just, a, it's, it, it preaches a gospel of discontent that I will not be happy until... But see, the gospel of Jesus is a, a gospel of contentment because it says you have everything you could ever possibly want when you have Jesus alone. Very different. Instead of pointing out flaws in the world around us and complaining about the problems, what we're called to do is to make a big deal of Jesus, pointing to the answer that God has given the world. When we magnify Jesus, we become a healing salve to our homes and to our neighbors. God was moved by love to action in the, in the way that he sent sacrificially his son into a world who would reject him. Number three, God is moved by love to action, and God is moved for a purpose. So there's a divine purpose behind God's action to send Jesus. It's not just for reasons to be determined. And if we, if we forget the purpose that God has for us, then if we forget the purpose, then we're going to start to easily doubt whether or not God loves us when tough times come. If we forget the purpose, then we will easily abuse the gospel for selfish reasons. If we forget the purpose, then we'll start to not appreciate what we have in Jesus. So what is the purpose? We see it in the same verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, you see the love there, that he gave the sacrifice of his only begotten son for the purpose that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We'll keep that up. The word perish here means uh, more than just die. It means destroy. In fact, it, it, to go deeper in this one, it means to utterly destroy. It's destroyed beyond destruction. It means to lose. We just finished the whole sermon series on victory. So it's the opposite of all that. That's what perishing is. Eternal life is, is what he's saving us for. He's saving us from this destruction for eternal life. And eternal life here is really needing no ex, ex, 
expounding? It doesn't need to be expounded upon. It's eternal life, this life that is in existence forever, going forward with no sickness, no decay, no destruction. And so the purpose of God, His love leading to action for a purpose, His purpose is this. Jesus came with the purpose to destroy death and to give us victory and life forever. Isn't that a great purpose? That is the heart of God, that He came to deliver us from death and destruction. There are serious consequences we face for all of our sin, and death is the ultimate. But it's not just eternal consequences that we face. We face grueling consequences for living a life of sin on earth. When we choose to sin, many diseases and plagues enter our lives through choices that we make in order to follow desires instead of following God. We see broken relationships happen when we choose to express our freedom instead of expressing our faithfulness. We see drug abuse leading to addiction and death. We see the effects of sin all over the world. These effects were never part of God's original plan for our lives. That was never the way He intended. In fact, He wants to now even give us victory over all of those that we're experiencing right now as a world. He wants to rescue us from everything that leads us away from Him and leads us to a path of destruction that leads to death. This is His purpose. The world is not a safe place. Say, not a safe place. All right, you're awake again. The world is not a safe place to go and explore every desire you have. It's a dangerous place that wants to destroy you. It wants to keep you from knowing the one God over all creation. And unless God intervenes for us, we're going to lose that battle and be destroyed by death. But God doesn't just sit back and let us suffer the consequences of our sin. He entered into our brokenness, and as a result of what Jesus has done for us, He gives us victory, He gives us life, He gives us salvation to anyone and everyone who will call upon Jesus as Lord. And so for us, this is our purpose, to trust and believe in the ability, the ability of Jesus to destroy death. Do you trust in His ability to destroy death? Do you trust in His ability to give you victory and to give you life? Do you trust in Jesus' ability to take you from losing in life to winning in life? Every Sunday is a celebration of Easter. Larry is correct. You get extra bonus points for being at church on Sunday after Easter. It's in the Bible. I wrote it in the margin right over here, right after he said it. But every Sunday is a celebration of Easter. Last week was the big celebration around the world and here, but today is no less exciting. Today the resurrection is still a glorious miracle that brings life to all who will believe in Jesus. See, Jesus suffered under the weight of the world's sin, and he died a gruesome death that included receiving the judgment and wrath of God for our sin. And anyone can potentially die for you. I could jump in front of a bus for you, potentially, to knock you out of the way and take that for you. 
But there's only one who can die for you and then rise from the grave again. And his name is Jesus. There's only one who claimed to be the Messiah and then backed up that claim by doing what none other had ever done before, by being raised to a glorified body never to see decay again. Jesus died and rose again, and all those who believe in him will experience the same. This is the heart of God, that he is moved by love to action for a purpose. He is a missionary God. He doesn't stand back and watch the world suffer, but he enters into that suffering. There's a song, uh, I don't, Lead Me to the Cross, where it says, You were as I, tempted and tried. And then it says, Human. Do you know a lot of religions consider that to be blasphemous? That's what Jesus was ultimately condemned for by the council? Is that somehow him being human could claim to be God? You see, God in many religions is, is way out there, really holy, really high, really exalted. And for us as Christians to say, that God, which is, we believe all that to be true, that he is up there, high and exalted, all those things, but that God became human and entered into our suffering was so blasphemous and wrong that they killed Jesus for it. Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and that means he claimed to be worthy of worship as God. Not a prophet, not a good teacher, but God became human. This is what God did for you and for me and for the entire world. He entered in and sacrificed himself by becoming so low, so humbled, so that he could be the penalty for our sins, so that we didn't have to die the death that we deserved. That is the life of a missionary. This is who the God we worship is. So before we get ready to close in prayer, I would like to invite everyone, if you would, just to, in an attitude of prayer, you can just bow your head and close your eyes if you want. If you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. You can keep looking at me, but take this opportunity to look away from me. I know my hair looks good today, but I want to speak to you right now in an attitude of prayer. And with your heads bowed, I just want to speak this to you right now. If you are not a Christian, you need to know this, that God loves you. And he wants to forgive you of all your sins. And he wants to rescue you from death that is coming. He wants you to have life. He wants to give you life through trusting in him as your Lord. His love for you has caused him to act on your behalf. And he has sent Jesus for you. So that you would believe in him for eternal life. And today he wants you to do that. And if you are a Christian here today, God loves you. And right now... He is speaking words over you. And he is saying, I want you to be reminded of how powerful my love is for you. God is telling you that he's rescued you from death and he has breathed life into you. God says you are chosen by him to receive his blessing as his child. God says, never doubt my love for you because I did something greater than rescue you from a mouth of a lion. God says you have victory over sin. 
You are not who you used to be. God says you have victory over death. God says, I have destroyed death for you. You do not have to be afraid. God says, you have been chosen to have this life by me, the missionary God. And now God is telling you that you are chosen to be a missionary like your heavenly Father. God is using you, yes, you, to reach more people with the good news that Jesus has come to bring life to the world. God is empowering you. Every one of you who calls on Jesus, He is empowering you to live a life of sacrifice. He is empowering you to live a life of giving. He's empowering you to bless others continually. He's empowering you to be the one that whenever people are around you, they leave encouraged because you bless them. And God is empowering you to make a big deal of Jesus by pointing others to Him as you go to Him yourself. If you receive that blessing, say amen. I want you to remember this. You can look at me now. God is a missionary God. He's moved by love to action for a purpose. God loves you. He gave his life for you. And so you never have to fear death if you are partaking of that eternal life that comes through Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord, eternal life is coursing through your veins. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for a chance to to see your great love tonight expressed in this wonderful scripture. I pray that you would empower us with your truth and your love. I thank you, Jesus, for loving us in such a way that we know that we can be certain of your love. You've displayed your love for us through your death, burial, and resurrection. And today, I pray that you, Jesus, I pray you are magnified in the hearts of all who are here and that you would strengthen the ties of our hearts that connect us to you. And I pray this in your holy, precious, and powerful name. Amen.